Hi guys, I'm Josh McDonald. And I'm Randa Matiri, and we are Hand Therapy Academy. So today, today we're talking trigger finger, one of our more common diagnoses we see come into the clinic uh, and all the things we do for that. Yes. So trigger finger, trigger thumb, um, all those things. And Josh, what are you doing for these? And does it depend on which finger it is? So kind of, or actually let's get started with the anatomy. Always. Let's always, always start with anatomy, right? Okay. okay so uh, it's a tenosynovitis, which means it's an inflammation of the tendon sheath around the tendon, not the tendon itself. And as the tendon sheath passes through the pulleys, typically A1 pulley, if it's indexed through small, um, that bolus gets caught and gets caught up on the proximal or distal edge and causes a triggering up or a triggering down. Thumb um, is a little bit more stubborn, but it's the same tenosynovitis sheath inflammation gets caught in that first pulley. Um, and so it's a matter of trying to get that inflammation to calm down. Um, while not getting stiff, managing pain, managing symptoms. And it depends on the stage at which they come in. If they come in at a stage five instead of stage one, stage five is it is stuck. Then they probably need some surgical release or other treatment maybe beyond conservative. If it's just painful and it catches a little, we can be super effective with that. Yeah, definitely. And so with these patients, as part of um, the diagnosis, sometimes they'll complain a lot of PIP joint pain, right? So I feel like it's always convincing them that, no, it's at the A1 pulley, but a common referred spot for pain is the PIP joint. And they can even feel the, the catching reverberate down there. Like, I feel it happening out here. So I have them hand over hand, like, here's what the little ball feels like and, and feel it get caught in there. So I, I do hand over hand to help them understand that. Yeah. And that's can be helpful. And then usually when you press on it, they're like, oh yeah, it's tender right there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah. So that's kind of the anatomy. So let's talk about what we do now. Um, conservative approach. If it's a standard grade one or two, when they come in and it's, if light, uh, either light, light triggering or a little bit more involved, some light pain, we do immobilization of one of the three joints is sufficient to stop that little bolus of inflammation traveling far enough to get caught. Now it just travels a lesser distance and so it doesn't get caught as much. So I will typically immobilize PIP joint, uh, but sometimes for wound or if it's a patient who has big Hebertins or Bouchard's nodules, I'll immobilize the MCP with like this little paddle splint thing that wraps around P1 um, to immobilize that splint or the joint. Yes. And what about the DIP? Are you ever immobilizing the DIP? I'm not. I feel like splints fall off of that so easily. It's really hard to get them to stay on. And um, and so it's they're just more likely to like a mallet. It's just going to fall off easily. So I feel like a PIP or MCP is way more successful as far as living daily life. Yeah. Sometimes I'll give them options or, you know, I'll see if I can get it with just doing like a little um, DIP immobilization. If I can, then I'm like, okay, perfect. Because then you can still keep your PIP joint moving. But oftentimes I try different things and have them try it in the clinic to see which one feels a, the most comfortable, and B, is going to stay on. And then lastly, and most importantly, prevent the trigger from happening, right? So sometimes if we don't do enough, it still happens, and then it kind of defeats the purpose of the splinting, right? So we want to immobilize them just enough to prevent that triggering from occurring, because when the triggering occurs, it creates this in inflammatory-type response, right? And that's what we're trying to get yeah. rid of. Yeah, yeah. And so typically when a patient comes in, I'll um, teach them all the precautions, all the things, um, give them uh, an oval eight. Typically, um, if they've got some need for a custom splint, we'll do that. Um, I'll make sure they understand all the precautions. I'll usually have them come back in about a week 
for just making sure everything still works. The splints still fit. You're understanding all the precautions. It's not like a mallet. If they have a little click, it doesn't start the clock all over, but it just kind of sets them back a little bit. Um, and then if there's no other symptoms, they haven't come back at six weeks for a check. If they still have pain, stiffness, loss of function, then we'll work on soft tissue management. Then I'll have them come in more often once or twice a week to work on all those symptoms that, that are accompanying all of that. But if it's just a matter of the clicking or pain on palpation, then immobilization for six to eight weeks may be sufficient. Right. And then some other things um, during the evaluation, I'll often try to figure out how maybe the um, trigger finger occurred where they did they go out and decide to do a bunch of yard work by using clippers or you know something like that was that something they're holding on to and then making sure that you're providing that education so that doesn't continue to happen and sometimes they do happen you know kind of insidious and there's not really a specific etiology but if if you can get some clues into what the etiology might be you can help treat it so i might be giving them education on padded gloves and i i always make them some like homemade padded gloves in the clinic using tuba grip and blue foam padding so i put the padding over the a1 pulley that way when they're driving and things like that they have a little bit of protection so they're not irritating uh that structure especially if we're just immobilizing the pip then there's there's nothing really that protects the a1 pulley from pressure. Um, so I'll do that. And then maybe some activity modification type stuff. And then telling them, you know, take the splint off when they're showering so they can keep make sure that the PIP joint doesn't get too stiff, right? So if we're having them immobilize the joint, we may want to make sure that that joint doesn't get stiff in the process, especially in older patients where that PIP joint does isn't as forgiving to being immobilized as say a younger patient. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then making sure they understand that we want it to move. So I'll teach them like an intrinsic minus fist position so that MCP is now immobilized and they can do some light, no powerful pulling, but just enough to get that PIP loose without flexing all of them into a full fist. That can be effective too. Yeah. And then what about your trigger thumbs? Are you treating them differently, the same? I'll tell patients, thumbs are stubborn for trigger thumb. Super, super stubborn. Not nearly, like research is showing, it's not nearly as effective to do the conservative management. So I'll tell patients if they want to avoid, we'll talk about injections and surgery and all that. If you want to avoid that stuff, let's try conservative, but I'm going to keep a much shorter leash on it. We're going to see if we can get to six weeks without it. But if it doesn't get better at six weeks, maybe we're doing some more soft tissue management. Then I'll say, okay, now let's go back to a surgeon or go to a surgeon and say, let's look at some other options because conservative just doesn't always work, but let's give it a good six weeks try and see if we can make some progress with it. Yeah, definitely. And then one other thing I think with trigger fingers is to watch for symptoms of carpal tunnel as well and vice versa. If you have a carpal tunnel patient, sometimes they'll have trigger finger symptoms as well. So they might be complaining of like pain, but you're not really sure you know, where the pain is coming from, say, if the carpal tunnel patient. So kind of knowing that those two go hand in hand. And more times than not, I see when they have trigger finger, they do have carpal tunnel as well. So if you're really doing a thorough evaluation and looking at those things and know that those things go hand in hand, then you can um, provide treatment for that as well, even though it might not be one of your diagnosis codes that was sent to you on the referral. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good to do a full evaluation and work proximal from the actual injury site. Um, I'll also talk with patients. I mentioned it earlier, um, kind of this three-step process. There's conservative, which is what we're going to do. There's injections where they'll, uh, a doctor or a provider will inject corticosteroids into that A1 pulley area. That works on taking down inflammation. That's one of the things that corticosteroids does. Um, some patients are diabetic or sketchy about needles. They may not want to do that. The next, the, the, the next step up the ladder of this um, level of significance is surgery, a surgical release of that. That can be a very, very, 
minimal outpatient procedure, very simple to do, and it can solve their problems if it's that big a deal. But a lot of patients want to stay short of surgery. Let's not cut me open. Let's not go under anesthesia or local, even if it's local. And so we, we offer those options. And I've had patients say, you know what, if surgery is an option, just go cut me open and move. I'll move on with my life. And if that's their choice, that's totally fine. Uh, but I kind of want them to understand the progression of things if, A, this isn't effective, or if they choose to do something else. Yes. And then one thing too, is if they do opt for an injection, I always provide a little bit of education on that as well, telling them that if we immobilize with the injection, your treatment and studies have shown that you can have a slightly better outcome. So I think um, success rate with injection alone is around 60 to 65%. Same with splinting. I think success rate is around 60% with splinting. So you're, you're pretty equal shots with splinting and injection, but doing splinting and injection together, there's some research shows that's around 80 to 85%. So just adding that little extra layer can improve the efficacy of um, relieving your trigger finger symptoms. So I think together it's great. And as clinicians, we need to be able to advocate for that when we're talking to surgeons. And surgeons mm-hmm. may say, you know, yeah, we're just going to inject them and they'll move on with their life. And if it didn't work, then we'll send them to you. If we can show them these articles and say, listen, here's an improved success rate. Let's try for this. That can really advocate for the patient. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we need to see them three times a week for six weeks, right? Oftentimes, yeah. I think with these, we're seeing them once or twice and um, it makes a big difference. Yeah. All right. That's a whole lot of stuff on Trigger Finger. Hopefully that helps you guys and you learn something from it. If you have ideas on other uh, podcasts you'd like us to record, let us know at info at Hand Therapy Academy. All right. Thanks, guys.